Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Sweetest name on earth 
Because he first loved me, it tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus! come forward and receive our evening offering at this time. Brother Chris, will you lead our prayer, please, sir? Chris, thank you for welcoming me back. You were the only one that told me you missed me, so I'm just kidding. I missed all of y'all this morning, and from what I understand, you had a great time of worship, and a big thanks if Matt and uh, um, Hannah are watching tonight. Thank you for, um, for filling in, and I know that they were a blessing to the church. Uh, the next song is going to be a mouthful, okay? So, Danny, go ahead and get ready. If you're chewing chewing gum, just throw it out the window or something, because... There's a lot of words in this song. It's day by day. It may be new to some. It may be very familiar to some. But the words are beautiful. Ready? Day by day.
trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, give unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure. Every day the Lord himself is near me With a special mercy for each hour All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me He whose name is Counselor and Power The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust your promises, O Lord. That I lose not faith's sweet consolation Offered me within your holy word Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting Ere to take as from a father's hand One by one the days, the moments fleeting Till I reach that blessed promised land Be strong in the Lord And be of good courage Your mighty defender is always the same Mount up with wings as the eagle ascending, victory is sure when you call on his name. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for he is your guide. Be strong, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and rejoice for the victory is yours. So put on the armor the Lord has provided and place your defense in his unfailing care. Trust him for he your path to avoid every snare. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for He is your guide. Be strong,
strong in the war and be of good courage your mighty commander will vanquish the foe fear not the battle for the victory is always his he will protect you chorus again, Miss Loretta. Church, will you stand and sing? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and be of good courage, for He is your God. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord, and rejoice for the victory is yours. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. Jesus, precious Jesus. 
rest of you will soon wish you had the energy of a child and wish you'd have walked out too. <laughs> Takes a talented preacher to get rid of people before he gets started. So you just know what you got here. Psalm chapter 95. Make your way in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 95. What God expects in a worship service. What God expects in a worship service. Now, many people have many expectations, you might say. In fact, I believe we would all say that we have expectations of each other. We have expectations of our spouses. We have expectations of our family. You all have expectations of me. I have expectations of you as well, believe it or not. Expectations are a part of all of our lives. You know, I heard a story of a Baptist deacon that was marooned on an island for many years all alone. And when he was rescued, the Coast Guard was just flabbergasted at what they found. Because they could not believe that in fact, despite of the fact, excuse me, in spite of the fact that the man had been on an island by himself for 15 years, he had built an infrastructure that looked similar to a city. He had built roads, he had built bridges, he had built, you know, all of these buildings. And they said, well, what's, what's that building? He said, well, that's my grocery store. That's where I store everything and I go once a week and pick stuff up and, and I come back out. And they said, well, well, what's that? He said, well, that, that was my old house and then that up there on the hill, that's my new house that I built later. And they said, well, what about that building? He said, well, that's, that's the church where I go to worship. And they said, well, what about that building? He said, well, that's the church that I used to go to. You'll catch up to that in just a minute. You see, in 2013, Tom Rainier did a, a study. He's from Lifeway. And released the results. And it was astounding the number of people that had transferred their membership from one church to another within the same community. He did not include those who had changed addresses and moved to a different community. People that simply left a church transferred their membership to another church within the same community. He did a survey of all of those people that he could contact and find information from. And the reasons that he found why they transferred the, the memberships quite often were legitimate. People had legitimate reasons. They disagreed theologically with the direction that the church was going. They no longer felt that they were serving the Lord in the, in the place where they were, and they moved to go and serve the Lord in another place. But did you know that 64% of the time, the reasons why people transferred their membership within the same community to another church was because they had unmet expectations in their old church. Sometimes... They moved the worship service time and it threw off my Sunday morning schedule so bad that I just had to go find somewhere else to worship. Sometimes it was I missed two weeks and nobody from that church called me to check on me after I missed two weeks. 
Sometimes it was the song leader wouldn't sing the songs that I liked, so I went to a church where they sang the songs that I liked. Sometimes it was that preacher is too boring, that preacher preaches too long, or that preacher didn't come and check on me. That preacher, there was one, the preacher didn't go check on my neighbor when her dog died, even though I told him. Now, folks, I will go and pray with nearly anybody. But if somebody's dog dies and you tell me about it, I might call them and tell them I'm sorry, but I'm probably not going to pay them a visit. My point is this. Whether or not they should have left the church is not for me to decide. My point is that when we come to church, we all have expectations. We have expectations of each other. You have all these expectations of me. And we go about it, and usually it's based on how it makes me feel. My expectations are generally based on my preference and how you make me feel and what can you do for me. But can I tell you something this evening that I feel like may come as a surprise to some of us? I believe that God has expectations of us as well. I believe, in fact, that God's expectations of us far supersede what our expectations of each other are. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I mean, if we look in the 95th Psalm, I think we're going to see that when we come and worship, God has laid out some explicit instructions for things that He expects for us to do. And I'm afraid that if we don't, we may find ourselves in danger of having a church service that God has departed from and went to a church that will. So let me tell you what I believe we can learn from the psalmist David this evening on this topic. What God expects from a worship service. If you're able, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of God from Psalm 95. We'll be reading the first seven verses together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Uh, for the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us pray. God our Father. We come to you this evening, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, to gather in your name, and to worship you, Lord. God, if there be anything in our minds, in our hearts, or in our spirit that might hinder us from worshiping you fully this evening, would you please bind it now and remove it? God, let your people cling to you even now. God, be glorified, for it is in your precious name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, and you may be seated. So what does God expect when we gather together? The first thing I believe that God expects is that there be a congregational participation. There be a congregational participation in the worship service. Look at the words says, oh, come, let us sing. Verse 2, let us come. Verse 6, oh, 
come. Now, David's not pinning that talking to himself. David's not pinning that any other reason. He's pinning it under the expectation we should gather from that command that it's expected that other people should come together, that we should come to the place of worship and that there should be other people coming to worship the name of the Lord with us. It's not uh, just a, a, an invitation to come and, and think over something. It's not an invitation to, to come and consider something. It's more like when you say to your children, Oh, come here. And I mean now. Right? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we may issue a a request, right? I may say to you, hey, I want you to come to the ball game Friday night. And that's kind of a a flippant request. If you come, great. If you don't, not. That's not what David is pinning here. He's doing more of that commandment style request. Oh, come and worship the king. Oh, come and worship. And God is saying that you and I should come to the house of the Lord expecting to worship. And can I just say in, in, in really plain, what I call Rocky Valley Jason Mull terms, I believe that what we see first is God has this crazy expectation that if he's going to come to church, we should come too. I think that's quite simply the point that's being made here. If he's going to come to the church service, then we ought to come to that church service as well. Four times in these verses, the words, let us. And throughout this psalm, there's this thought of plurality, if you'll look at it. And no doubt, when the Hebrew writer writes, you know, let us not forsake the assembly, he has this in mind, this, this plurality, that if God's coming, we ought to meet him there. I mean, think about this. If I invited you to my house to come over and help me weed my garden, wink, wink, anybody that you're coming, it would be a reasonable expectation if I invited you to come to my house and work on my garden that I would be there, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't you just naturally expect that? If you showed up to my house after my invitation to come weed my garden and I wasn't there, you probably wouldn't pull very many weeds before you gave up and went on. But we live in a time and in a society today that is so blessed with things to do that we find any chance or any reason we can to get as far away from the house of the Lord as we can possibly get. Let me say that again. Now, I'm talking to the Sunday night crowd. You guys came back. I didn't say anything this morning made you mad enough not to come back. But at the end of the day, the expectation is this. If we are going to open the doors to this church, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit of God to come and dwell among us, and we are going to gather in His name, if you are a member of this church, then it ought to be an expectation that you would be here to worship with your church family. Now, that's just a fact of the matter. It just makes simple sense. We say we're going to gather in his name and worship. We ought to gather together in his name and worship. Not check some box and say, well, I came Sunday morning. I don't need to come back Wednesday or Sunday night. I've already, I already got my church box checked off this week. If you're coming to check a box, you're wasting your time in the first place. This is not a box worth checking. But if you're coming to worship the king of kings, it should be expected that you would be here. But I don't think that's the only thing that David is saying here. I believe he's saying it's not good enough just to be here. Now I let you off the hook on the first one, right? I told you, y'all came back tonight. So y'all fulfilled that first one. You came to worship. But guess what? It's not enough to just walk into the house of the Lord. He doesn't just say come. He says come and then he tells us to do something else, doesn't he? He says, oh come and let us sing to the Lord. It's not good enough just to come. 
He says, come and sing, come and shout, come and worship, come and bow down, come and kneel, come and give God the worship that he deserves. Now at the end of this psalm is a warning. We won't get to it this evening for the sake of time. But he says, don't be like those Israelites who saw what God had done and tested him and they wouldn't worship him and he had to punish them. Come, don't sit on your hands, don't eat your sour grapes. Come, lift your voice, shout and sing, worship and bow down. Why? Because God is worthy of our worship, quite simply. If God is worthy of your worship, why would you come to a worship service for him and not worship? Now that just don't make good sense to me. I have heard this great shift. You know, believe it or not, pastors are an interesting group. We gather with other pastors quite often. We do it in the sake of discipleship or mentorship, but sometimes it's just nosiness. And I have heard a lot of churches shifting this this idea being from a, a focused congregational worship to more of a concert-style worship service where you have a great show that's going on and everybody out there is just kind of there. But what's really the focus is what's going on on the stage. They want a perfect production going on on the stage, and that's what they're really, really concerned with. Now, I realize that most of you, when I said that, thought to yourselves, boy, I'd hate to go to a church like that. I, would, I just don't believe that that's doctrinally what a church ought to look like. I believe we ought to come and worship and not come to a concert every Sunday. We ought to be part of lifting our voices. But while we don't agree with it doctrinally, far too often we agree with it practically when we come and we don't worship. When a professing Christian stands with a folded arm and a scowl on their face while we sing worthy of worship worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, what you have done is you've rewritten those verses to say, I'm going to come and I'll sing if you impress me enough with your singing. Come and entertain me, music minister. Come do a good job, pianist. And if you do, I'll give you a round of applause, the same as I would Elvis Presley if he came in concert. Might I point out to you that in James he writes, He who does not do good when he knows to do that good does evil. Now when you couple that truth with Psalm 92, when it's written that it is a good thing to sing praises to the Lord and give thanks, now just put those two together. Psalm 92 says it's a good thing to sing praises to the Lord and give thanks. You just found in the Word of God that it's a good thing to sing praises to the Lord. James says, if you don't do something that you know is a good thing, then you're doing an evil thing. When you put those things together, that says if you know you're supposed to praise God and lift up praises to Him when you come into the house and you choose not to, you've done something not just that you didn't want to do, you haven't done something out of desire, you've done something that was wicked. You've done something that was evil by holding back the praises that were meant for God. Now maybe you're dealing with, with sin in your life and you just can't shout his name. Don't fake it. Repent and get to the place where you can praise. But don't let it just be rooted in an unwillingness to worship God after all he has done for you. Now I understand 
that there's also mention in the Psalms of making a joyful noise. I get that one all the time. Preacher, have you ever heard me sing? It ain't a joyful noise. I know. I sit on the front row most of the time. I hear most of what you do. But might I interject that I don't believe Scripture teaches us that God's looking at the outward man. I don't think he's concerned with whether you're flat or sharp or a half beat slow or a, a tick fast. I don't think God's too upset when Brother Jason has Miss Linda hold a note and, and I sing it one note too quick. I don't think God's upset with me. He's looking at the heart of the man. And our heart should be in a place of worship. The question is not, do you like to sing? The question is not, do you sing well? The question is, do you have a song? Have you been washed in the blood? Are you heaven bound? And if you are bound for glory by the grace of God, then you have got a song and you want to shout it to the Lord. I mean, think about that song. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Do the best you can with what you got. There ought to be a congregational participation to come and to sing. Not just participate, though. Not just sit quietly, but, but look at it. Don't, don't, don't lose me. Everything that's suggested in this psalm shows us that it is an outward expression. What I mean by that is that people ought to be able to tell you're at a worship service. Let me say that again. People ought to be able to tell that you are at a worship service. Everything that he suggests over and over and over in this psalm is something that can be witnessed, it can be heard, and it can be seen. Sing, shout, come before his presence with thanksgiving and shout joyfully. Right? All of these things can be seen and they can be heard in a worship service. It's not something we keep to ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not such a high and mighty hoity-toity person as to believe that, that, that I can tell you what your song of joy should look like. Your song of joy and my song of joy don't have to look the same. Mine might look like two hands raised up in the air, my head thrown back with my eyes closed. Yours may not ever see a hand go up. You may never close your eyes. You don't even have to open your mouth sometime to praise the Lord. But it ought to be an expression that if somebody looked at you, they ought to know that you are worshiping something that's worthy of your worship. Let me give you an example. I've got a friend who loves the Alabama Crimson Tide football. God love him. I pray for him daily. Last year, during the national championship football game, there was a, a pretty tense set of moments at the end. And that friend of mine... Uh, I, I got a picture from his wife of what he was doing in those tense moments. Now, now he no doubt expresses a lot of outward joy when he's watching these football games, but, but he was sitting quietly, not saying a word, and his, and his head was down in his hands like that. Now, I looked at that. He wasn't shouting. He wasn't saying hoorah. He wasn't cheering, but there was no doubt that he had an outward expression that showed me that he was in tune and paying attention to what was going on on that television screen. That ought to be how it is in the house of the Lord. Maybe I don't know what your, your example is that you give, but there ought not be no doubt that you're worship. I can tell you what I know worship. It and 
That's not worship. If that is how you worship, then you, you went to a different church somewhere than I did because I ain't never felt like worshiping by acting like I was disinterested in what was going on. And can I just say that some of us, on occasion, would be far more obedient to God if we would just learn to nod our head and smile instead of scowl and frown. God expects an external celebration in our worship. Now, I feel I need to give this disclaimer, being as we have this old chandelier here in our house. I'm not talking about the kind of outward celebration where somebody jumps up, shouts, and grabs hold of that chandelier and goes to swinging. All right? I don't think that that's necessary for me to believe that, that you are truly worshiping. Can I just say that in our Baptist churches today, the fear is probably not that we're going to get too far out of hand in our worship. I'm not talking about false fire. I'm talking about Holy Ghost fire. My fear's never been that that we're going that I'm gonna preach this message and next Sunday I'm gonna have to calm y'all down. That don't that thought don't even enter my mind. My fear is more that we'll get so lukewarm in our worship. Let me say this: that we get so lukewarm in our worship that we sometimes fail to recognize when we're making God sick at His stomach. That we're going to get so lukewarm and so comfortable that we fail to recognize we're making God sick to his stomach. But I believe God expects some other things in our worship too. I believe God expects the theology of our worship to be solid. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come in his presence. Our worship should have a theological basis because all we do should be for him and about him. Now I think most of you already know this. Well, some of you probably already know this. Some of you I'm fixing to blow your mind. Did you know that the worship service is not designed for you each week? When Brother Ligon and I discuss the worship service most weeks, the topic is generally, what scripture do you think you're going to preach, Pastor? And what do you think of these songs? Do you think they accompany that scripture well? But not one time has he ever sent me a text message that said, do you think they'll like this song? Because quite frankly, whether or not you like the song is somewhere near the bottom of our list of concerns. If you get your bell rung, then thank God you did. If your boat got floated, thank God it's floating. If your itch got scratched, I'm so glad you ain't itching. But if you didn't enjoy this very much and God was glorified, it was still a good day in the house of the Lord. If you don't think your needs were met from a stylistic standpoint but God was glorified, then at the end of the day, everything happened at Rocky Valley just exactly like it was supposed to. Now my hope, my hope is that those things coincide. You know when they're going to coincide, though? It's when you quit worrying about what style of song you like and worry about who the song is about. As long as that young man right there puts songs up on that screen every week that glorify and honor God and are theologically correct, and I believe with all my heart he will do that, then at the end of the day, our place is not to say, well, that song was too slow or that song was too fast. Our place is to say, that song was about God.
that song was about Jesus. He said, I didn't like that choir special, Brother Jason. Boy, I didn't like that one. That's all right. It wasn't for you anyway. I don't like that. I don't like that sermon series you're talking about on Sunday nights, Brother Jason. That's okay. I didn't write it for you. Now, I hope you do get blessed or touched or convicted. But if at the end of the day, I feel like we did it to glorify God, then that's good enough for me. You know, I had a guy that I worked with, and on my birthday a few years ago, he worked with me on my birthday, and then he knew I was going to celebrate. And so the next day, we were working together again. We were riding to the job site, and he said, he said, what'd you get? I said, man, I got this little picture album. And it was a frame, and, and my wife had taken my kids and put all these superhero costumes on them, and she'd taken all these pictures, and she made this frame and this picture album. And the frame said, you are our Superman. And she had given it to me. My kids were in all these costumes, and, and they all had written me little notes about something that made me their hero. And he looked at me and he said, well, that stinks. I'm glad I still get good gifts. I don't have any kids yet. I said, well, I thought it was the best gift that I may have ever received. You know what the difference was? The gift wasn't for him. So it didn't have to scratch his itch. It was for me. And it did everything that it was supposed to do for me. Our worship is a gift meant to glorify God. Why would we want to give him the gifts that we want instead of the gifts that he wants? As best as I can tell, what he wants is for us to come and shout praises to him and sing songs to him and glorify him and lift him up. And my friend, if you can't sing and shout, then at least smile and grunt. Celebrate the theology and the foundation of our worship. And can I just point out something about the foundation? I am preaching this evening from the songbook. This was the Jewish songbook. There's enough foundation in the Jewish songbook that I can preach it. And that ought to be the songs that we sing. There ought to be enough theology in the songs that we sing about God that we ought to be able to preach sermons about them. And so the songs that you like stylistically, let me ask you this question. Do they preach a sermon when you sing them? And if they don't, you might want to look to a new set of songs. So let me close this evening with this. God expects our participation. He expects that we would have a theological foundation, but I also believe that he expects a proper motivation. Look at verse 7 with me real quick. For he is our God, and we are his people. We are the people of his pasture. We worship simply because we are his. That should be our motivation. Simply because of who he is and whose we are, we ought to be worshiping him. Two things will live up any person's worship. One is salvation. You want to see somebody get some worship service inside of them, get them a little Jesus inside of them. That will liven up their worship just like that. You know what the other thing was for a saved person? It'll be if you remind them how lost they were. 
You want to see a saved person go from a dead state of worship to a live state of worship, you remind them that they were hell-bound before they found Jesus. And they will get in the mood to worship in a hurry. Chris Tomlin said it well when he said this, How can I keep from singing your name? How can I keep from singing your name? Not how can I decide to sing your name. How can I keep from it? And for some of the older crowd, Squire Parsons put it this way, I've been singing about my Lord for many years. I've sung when I was happy and I've sung when I had tears. Some ask me if it's all been just a show, but the reason I sing, I want the world to know as I sing because there's an empty grave. I sing because there's a power that saves. I sing because His grace is real to me. I sing because I'm not alone. I sing because one day I'm going on. But perhaps even better than Chris Tomlin or Squire Parsons, King David said it best in Psalm 40. When he says, I waited for the Lord and he heard me. He heard my cry, brought me out of the horrible pit and the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock. He put a new song in my mouth and praise to our God. I sing because I'm happy and I sing because I'm free. But most of all, I sing because I've been redeemed. My friends, we ought to come into the house of the Lord. And I'm not saying you come in here and fake it. I'm saying you should come in here simply recognizing the fact that you have been saved, that you have been set free, and that you are no longer bound for the hell that you deserved. And that ought to be enough motivation for you to sing to the Lord and say to yourself, how can I keep from singing his name? And it ought to be so obvious on the face of every believer that any lost person that comes into this house ought to say, man, they got a dose of something that I want. They got them a dose of something and I'd like to get a part of that. Let me go talk to that preacher about whatever got into all these crazy folk that are praising this Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you this evening. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we see Evidence in your scripture that it's okay to worship your holy name. It's not just okay, but it's expected that we would worship your holy name. So God, would you set us free from anything that binds us, that prevents us from worshiping you in the fullness that you deserve. Allow us individually and as a church to glorify your name in our worship because you alone are worthy of that worship and you alone are worthy of that praise, God. So God, if there's something in our lives that hinders us, God, in this time of response, would you convict your children that they would come and lay it at your feet, at your altar this very evening and rise up and worship again. For it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Please stand.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.